Hello and welcome to today's lecture. In this lecture, I am reading Neville Goddard's lecture from 1968 titled Awake, O Sleeper. Now this is the second lecture that Neville gave by the same name in 1968. The first one he gave in January, this one he gave in uh, July, so July 25th of 1968. So, Neville tells his audience, when you and I use our imagination unwittingly, we are asleep. We have to awake to God's law and his promise. We are told in the very first chapter of Genesis, And God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And it was so, Genesis 1, 29. Here we see the law of the identical harvest, and you and I will not in eternity violate it. We try to. Man has tried through the years to break this law. We are told, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Galatians 6, 7, the Revised Standard Version. Therefore, do not grow weary in well-doing, Galatians 6, 9. For if we persist in it, in due season we will reap if we faint not or lose heart. Now, everything brings forth after its kind. If you really believe that you are the child of God, you will rest confident in that knowing. In that seed, knowing that it can bring forth no more, no less than God. If I really believe what Scripture teaches, know ye not that ye are the sons of God, sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men, and fail as one man, O princes, Psalm 82. I will accept that. As the Son of the Most High, what can I bring forth but God? Whatever he was prior to my being planted, for I am planted in death. All seeds must first die before they can bring forth. This is the great mystery. So, if I'm his seed, his sperm, his son, his child, whatever you will, then I'm quite willing to go through this eternal world of death, knowing in the end I must emerge as eternal life as God himself. In the meanwhile, while I am here, don't try to violate the law. You can't do it. Man has tried it, and he only produces a mule. We cannot produce in the mule that which can bring forth its kind. It's sterile. It's impotent. I have seen the crossbreed between the lion and the tiger, but it, too, is a mule. Beautiful to look at, but it's impotent. It's sterile. I have seen birds that men mated. Normally they would not mate, but men forced them into mating. And they have brought forth beautiful offspring. But the offspring is a mule. It will not reproduce itself. So God has placed a limit to man's miscreation. So that you and I may speak in the world of Caesar of man's evolution. And we think it's part of God's creation. It is not part of God's creation. God finished it. And it's perfect. The seed contains within itself all that parents have contained. If the seed is of God, well then, it can only unfold as God. I can see evolution to man and his affairs. 
Instead of digging the earth with my hand, I turn to a hoe, and then from the hoe, I turn to a plow, and from the plow to a tractor. While I can see the evolution in that, concerning the affairs of man, instead of moving across a body of water on a raft, then I took a sail, and then I took a paddle, and then I took a steam, and now we take atomic energy. And instead of walking a distance, now I know I can fly and go almost as fast as man can imagine. So I can see the evolution in the affairs of man, but not in the creation of God. So in the beginning it was established that all things will bring forth after their kind. Someone enters the room a little late. Oh, oh that was a commentary. So uh, apparently someone walked into the room a little late. And Neville says, all right, come right in. We've only just started. Trying to establish in us the awareness of God's law. That we cannot violate it. We can't change it. To awake, as we are told, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. So Paul equates death with the sleep of man, but man is unaware of what he's doing. So when we are told in Psalms, the 44th Psalm, Rouse thyself, why sleepest thou, O Lord? It's addressed to God and man. While God and man is man's own wonderful human imagination. So every time that I imagine and I am unaware of what I am in, what I am imagining, well then I will not recognize my harvest when it appears in the world. I would deny. Hold on one sec. I will not recognize my harvest when it appears in the world. Will deny I had anything to do with it. But if man is as I think and I know he is all imagination. And if God and man are one, then God is all imagination. So we say man is all imagination and God is man and exists in us and we in him. The eternal body of man is the imagination and that is God himself. The eternal body, Jesus. We are his members. So everyone can imagine. The thing to do is to become aware of what we are imagining and put no limit to the power of imagining. Do not put any limit to God's power. Here is a simple, simple example. This friend of mine down south, Benny Gould, uh, Benny Gould, yeah, Gould, G-O-U-L-D, a friend called him and said, you know, our little daughter, six months old, the doctor says she will not live the week, that she now has meningitis, and the crisis is now. My friend Benny, instead of sympathizing with his father, he bawled him out. He said, didn't you tell me that you are a good Christian? You go to your Baptist church and you consider yourself a good Christian? I don't go to the Baptist church. In fact, I don't go to church. But I consider myself a good Christian. What are you doing accepting the verdict of the doctor? Why can't you now accept the teaching of scripture and believe in your heart that the little girl that I saw a matter of moments after she was born is now alive and thriving? After he bawled his friend out, Benny put the receiver up and then sat down and heard that man's voice as though he called him on the telephone. And then he heard the man tell him that the child had miraculously recovered. That's all that Benny did. That night, a lady had a dream, and because it was related to Benny, she called Benny the next day and told Benny the dream. And this was a dream. 
She said, I had a strange dream last night, Benny. I dreamt I was in a hospital in the lobby, and two nurses were discussing a certain case of a friend of yours, a little girl, that one said to the other. But who paid for the operation? Who paid the expense of the hospital? And one nurse said to the other, Benny did. That was only a dream. Well, Benny did pay for it, not in dollars and cents, he said the price. The price was that he represented the father to himself in a different way, altogether. Not complaining, not feeling sorry, not feeling sad at heart, but he heard that man's voice with a joy in it, telling him that the little girl had recovered miraculously. That's all that Benny did. Well, that's paying the price. You are told, come, eat, and drink without price. Buy milk, buy it without money. Well, the price that Benny paid was to exercise his talent wittingly, knowingly, on behalf of another, and to do it lovingly. So every time you exercise your imagination lovingly on behalf of another, you are actually mediating God to that other. So if you become awake, you are awake to God's law. You can't violate it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Galatians 6, 7. And then we are asked to not give up. If it seems long, wait anyway, because the harvest will come. In due season we will reap if we faint not, if we do not lose heart. So anyone here tonight who has a problem, I don't care what the problem is. The problem will yield its own solution. You don't have to discuss the means. That's not the solution. If I needed money, knowing the right people, knowing people of money, knowing people with means, that is no solution. The solution is having what I want in this world. That's the solution. If I were unsheltered tonight, what's the solution? Knowing a friend who has a huge mansion with rooms not occupied? That's not my solution. My solution is to be sheltered. So no matter where I sleep, I sleep as though I am sheltered. If I were in need of raiment, I would sleep as though I am well clothed. I am in need of money. I would sleep as though I had all that it takes, that I am affluent. I will do it in that manner. If I know what I am doing, well then faint not. I did it. I planted it. Well now, in due season, I will reap it. So every man should become awake to this law. So rouse yourselves. Why sleepest thou? O Lord, Psalm forty four twenty three. Well, his name his name is I am. So are you aware of what you are doing? I am speaking then to you. Why sleepest thou, O Lord? And just to be addressed as Lord, and I mean it when I say, I address you as the Lord, for you are the Lord. If you are a son of God, you can't develop any in any other way, other than other than into God. So we are destined to grow up into him, the head, Jesus Christ, the Lord. If I grow up into him, the head, well then, I am he. So then everything, then, said of him, I must experience. So here I must awake to the being that I really am, not just to hear it, but to really believe it to the point where I act upon it. Well, if all through the day I act upon it, do you know that even in the dream you'll act upon it? A dream, supposedly, is something where man's imagination 
Rather, his attention is the victim, and not the master. It follows all the phenomena of life. But in a dream, you will get to the point that you do not find yourself the victim. You find yourself guiding your attention. And you'll find yourself, in dream, modifying and changing a situation. The normal person in a dream doesn't. He simply, his attention is the very slave and follows everything, one after the other. But when you become awake here, you take it into the depth of your own being and what the world calls sleep. So when I say awake or sleeper, I'm simply appealing to everyone here to awake to God's law. For it is a law established in the beginning, the law of the identical harvest. You can't plant one thing and reap another. You could now sit here tonight in the assumption that you are, well, exactly what you want to be. I would not define for what you ought to want. I will ask you, what do you want? When you know exactly what you would like to be, and you deliberately assume that you are it, you've planted that seed, and in due season you are going to reap that harvest. Therefore, if you are going to reap it, reap it wisely by planting wisely. But all day long you are doing it anyway. Man is doing it, but he's doing it asleep, and therefore when it comes to being, and he harvests this marvelous, well, whatever it is, he doesn't recognize that he had anything to do with it. And the purpose of life is to become awake, to wake everything in this world. So I know exactly what I did. I sat down and I dreamed myself as affluent. I dreamed myself as this, as that, as the other. And having done it, I have confidence in God's law. No matter or no man can divert it. I can't plant one thing and reap another. You see, yonder fields, the sesame was sesame. The corn was corn. The silence and the darkness knew, and so is man's faith born. So I can sit down and actually do it. Here, Marian Anderson was denied the right to sing in the famous hall in Washington. She was not a member, and she was denied the right. She did not oppose it. She didn't fight it. These are her words. She said, they had a right. These are the daughters of the American Revolution. That was her right. They are all members of that club. They are proud of it. Why shouldn't they be proud of it? I simply would like to have sung in that hall. So what did I do? I didn't fight it. I didn't argue it. I didn't tell the press. I made no issue. I simply, in my imagination, sang in that hall. I stood on that stage and sang to a full house, an appreciative house. They loved all that I did, and I was invited to sing in that hall. Now you will say, well, Mr. Rose, or Mrs. Roosevelt heard about it. And she then took issue with those who were the members, saying, After all, this is tax-exempt property, and all of this is something that is on the backs of the taxpayer. And I feel that we should occasionally open the doors to some great artist. She might have given them she might have given them any argument, and she was then the first lady of the land. You will say now that's why they invited Marian Anderson. I say it was not. Mrs. Roosevelt had to act as she acted because Marian Anderson acted first. And if one could only see what she did, not what Mrs. Roosevelt did, she was only the means 
to the end. The cause of the entire thing was one who did not argue, who did not protest, who did nothing, who in her own heart simply imagined that she had done it. And if you do it this way, you don't have to fight in this world. You don't have to argue with anyone in this world. Just do it. I have seen people, or I have seen people say, no, it can't be done. I'm not going to let this go. Well, all right, it's your privilege, it's yours. If you don't want it unloaded, and then someone who really thought of something far bigger than they could have ever conceived, or that they could have conceived, imagined it. Then they come, asking the very one to whom they turned and said, No, it can't be done. And we do not wish any part of it. Then they came and they got far more than in the beginning they were willing to take for it. I know these cases. So you don't have to argue. You don't have to fight. You simply know what you want. And if you had it, what would it be like? How would you feel if it were true? What would you see in the world mentally if it were true? How would your friends see you if now you were the man or the woman that you want to be? Well then, let them see you. That imaginal act, letting them see you as they would have to see you were true, is the imaginal act being planted. You are sowing the seed at that very moment. And in due season, it must come to pass. For that vision of yours, as told us in Habakkuk, it has its own appointed hour. It ripens, it will flower. If it be long, then wait. For it is sure, and it will not be late. Habakkuk. So you don't have to rush it, dig it up, and see if it's growing. You did it in confidence that God's law never fails. Let the earth bring forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And it was so, Genesis one twenty nine. And as long as earth endures, seed time and harvest shall not cease. Now the seed time is when you imagine a state, that's the seed time. That's when you sow, and then in due season you're going to reap exactly what you sowed, so do not be deceived. You can't sow the unlovely act and expect something other than the unlovely act to appear in your world. You can't do it. If you want someone in this world to, to be big in your world, treat him as though he were. Not by flattering him, but in your mind's eye, treat him as though he were big. Think of him as important if you want him to be important. I know in my own case, my family had really no financial, social, intellectual, or any other background of mention. But my mother did not allow her ten children to know that. And if any of us did anything that mother, while well, she wasn't exactly ashamed of it, but she thought it could be better, and it was something that we really should not have done. She would then say to us, Have you forgotten that you are a Goddard? She made the same, she made the name important. It had no importance whatsoever. But she made it important. So she treated us as though we as a family were important. The result is that she lived long enough to see her family grow into importance in the community, all pulling their weight and being very important in their community. Now you can start it with any family in this world and treat the family as though they were important. 
Unfortunately, our parents think they are doing the right thing when they compare us to a neighbor and find us wanting. Why can't you be like so-and-so? Right away, it implies you are not as good as, and so, if that's the seed she is planting for the child, the child has to do that. But if you will take any child and then not flatter it, no, but in your mind's eye, see it as important and treat it in your mind's eye as though it were, see it successful. I read here, oh, maybe eight or ten years ago, the famous men in the theatrical world whose mothers always looked upon them as most important. Clifton Webb was one whose mother, from the time he was a little boy, treated him as most important. And they mentioned about eight or ten or twelve of them. Each rose to stardom in the theatrical world because they had mothers who treated them in a different manner. And so the story came out of the magazine I read. I know it's only based upon a single law if the mothers knew it. Well, whether they knew it or not, that's how they acted. And it's simply putting into effect God's law. So when I say, awake, oh sleeper, I mean that we are asleep if we are not aware of what we are doing. We are asleep. So awake, oh sleeper, and rise from the dead. And the sleep in most of us is so profound we might just as well be dead. But become aware of the law. And become aware of the promise, and the promise is that you are a child of God. As a child of God, you can't grow into anything in eternity other than God. You can't possibly become anything but God if you are a seed of God. So if you believe it, if I believe that I truly am, as the 82nd Psalm tells me that I am, Know ye not that ye are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you, not a few, no little elect, but all of you. Then he tells us what we must first encounter in order to do it. You now will die like men. You will fall as one man, O princes. Well, if I am a prince, and my father must be a king, and if I am destined to become and take his place, then I must become one day king king in my own mind's eye. And if he's a father, I must become father. And that's the entire story of the scriptures. So to become aware of it is then begin to act upon it. You'll find yourself acting upon it consciously, deliberately. You refuse to accept the negative suggestions of the press, TV, radio, or a friend. You will not accept it any more than Benny did. Benny simply put the receiver down, brought his mind upon the same voice, but changed the conversation. And it was confirmed in the not-distant future. That entire thing changed in the outer world to conform to what Benny had done in the inner world, all in his imagination. So this is simply becoming awake, rousing the God within us. And then one day, to your, well, surprise, this not a good word for it because you are so shattered by the experience that therefore you can rub it out of the mind. In my own case, it happened in 59, almost 10 years. And yet every moment of time I dwell upon it. I could hardly believe that this thing was lit so literally true. God's promise to man that every child born of woman would one day actually discover that he is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And when it happened to you and the whole thing begins to unfold within you like a flower, one after the other, well, I can't tell anyone the thrill. You don't boast within you like a flower, one after the other. You don't brag. You've, you're not a thing to brag about because the whole thing was contained in the germ and the seed and the sperm of God and it was placed in you. Well, if the whole of God is contained in his seed and the seed is in us, when it unfolds, how can we brag? We can only be thrilled beyond measure and be filled with awe and praise and thanksgiving that God so loved me that he actually became me, that I in turn may become God. And so I dwell upon that and let it happen. It unfolds like a flower. So to everyone, no matter what you are tonight, you can start tonight to plant the world differently, but to dwell above all things upon the fact that you are the child of God. And as a child of God, you can only grow into the likeness of God, into God himself. You have no other way to go, but we are warned in Scripture it's going to be quite a journey. But Paul said, I consider the sufferings of the present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Not to us, the preposition is in, it is revealed in us. So all the sufferings is told us quite clearly in the book of Genesis. We have three major manuscripts from Genesis known only by letters. The letter J, the letter E, and the letter P. No one knows what they mean, but we've given meaning to them. We speak of the J as the Jehovahites. Uh, we speak of the E as the Elohim, and we speak of the P as the prophets. But no one really knows if whoever put the J-E-M-P there really intended that. But scholars have given that meaning to these letters. That's all we know concerning the authorship of these manuscripts. But in the E, it does not begin with the first verse. The E manuscript begins with the 15th chapter. It begins with civilization. With Abram, and Abram complains to the Lord that he has no offspring. And one born in my house of a slave will be my heir. And God said to him, That man will not be your heir, but your own son will be your heir. And then God caused a profound sleep to descend upon him, and then said to him, In sleep, your descendants shall be strangers, sojourners in a strange land, and there will, they will remain enslaved for four hundred years. But when they are brought out, they will have much, and abundance will be theirs. But they must first go into slavery for 400 years. Well, the 400 years is not 400 as you would measure years. Each letter in the Hebrew alphabet has not only a numerical value, but a symbolic value. And 400 is the last letter, the 22nd letter, which symbol is a cross. It is a tab and the numerical value of the cross is 400. So I will wear the cross of man. This is the cross that I wear. It's 400 years. It is a far, far longer time than that. Blake, time and again, he said, I behold the visions of my deadly sleep of 6,000 years, dazzling around thy skirts like a serpent of precious stones and gold. I know it is myself, O Lord, my Redeemer and, re and Creator, so he always speaks of the vision of his deadly sleep that lasted 6,000 years. But in scripture it is called 400 years because they are speaking of the symbolism of the number and of the symbol 
called the cross. So as long as I wear a body of flesh and blood, I am wearing this cross of 400 years. So as long as I do it, I am enslaved. I am enslaved by this body, by its passions, by its ambitions, by its needs. I have to bathe it, shave it, wash it, and then it has all the normal functions. I must take care of the normal functions like a slave. I'm a slave of the body. The day will come at the end of my long journey that I will take off my body of flesh and blood and put on my body of glory, which will not need any of these cares whatsoever, for it will be spirit and not flesh and blood. So I'm quite willing to accept what scripture teaches me. Yes, I am a slave here, I know it, and I will continue. But while I am a slave, he awoke within me, completely awoke within me, with all the symbolism and scripture surrounding me, and then came the next one, and the next, and the next, and the whole scripture begins to unfold within the man who is still, as yet a slave, as told us in scripture. Then comes that end of the journey when he can say, and is finished, and the whole thing is done. For here, not only these four mighty acts become yours, but so many lovely passages of Scripture. In the interval, they are yours. To feel yourself one day lifted up and to hear a heavenly chorus sing, unearthly chorus, and here it is singing, calling you by name. When I wrote the story and called the little thing the search, I was persuaded by the one who read my manuscript to use the pronoun he and tell it in the third person. But I did not hear the chorus say he, I heard the chorus call my name, Neville. And they said, Neville is risen, Neville is risen. And how can you take that simple little phrase, Neville is risen, and repeat it? This enormous heavenly chorus singing it and get out of it what they did, I could never tell you. They never used other words, and yet the melody, the change, everything about it, the majesty of all that they are singing on three little words. And then I found myself clothed in a body of light. It seemed to be a body of air and light. I didn't stand on the ground and I didn't walk. I glided. I did it automatically as though it was an innate knowledge of what to do. And I came upon an infinite sea of human imperfection. Blind, lame, halt, withered, all of them. And I knew intuitively that they were waiting for me. And as I came by, I had no compassion, none whatsoever. I didn't stop to inquire. It was obvious that this one was blind, that one was lame. That one had no arms. That one was missing some other, some other limb. And yet, strangely enough, as I glided by, I did not raise a finger to change them. But they were automatically changed in harmony with the perfection I felt springing within me, because I walked by as a perfect one. Everyone had to be in harmony with me, and everyone was made perfect. And the chorus is singing, and when the eyes came out of nowhere and fitted into these empty sockets, and when arms came out of... Yeah, it's repeated. And when arms came, came out of nowhere and fitted into the empty sockets and legs and everything was made perfect at the very end of this enormous journey, then the uh, chorus exulted and they cried out, it is finished, from repeating, Neville is risen, Neville is risen, in their own marvelous way, 
Now they change it to, it is finished. And then I felt myself actually condensed into this little garment here called Neville. I was actually the most imprisoned being imaginable from that wonderful exalted state of freedom. So I can't tell anyone what's in store for you, that body of glory when you put it on. I simply tasted of it for that moment, that right coming through the Caribbean Sea from Port of Spain to Mobile, Alabama. We were at sea about seven days, and this happened one night while I was at sea. So I know exactly the feeling of the risen body, that feeling of this glorious body, where everything that you touch or see must conform to you because you are perfect. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so everything in your world is going to be changed. You don't stop to change it. You don't do a thing. It simply changes as you go by. So everything in scripture you one day will prove literally. Prove it to be true, but not on this level. You are going to prove it in some remote area of your own soul. So first of all, believe in his promise. Believe that you really are the son of God. And as the son of God, you cannot grow up into anything other than God. Not in eternity. But while you are enslaved in this world in a place that is not really or that is really not home, everyone feels a stranger here. They try to build something to feel secure, to feel not a stranger. But they are still strangers, and all through the day and night they are leaving, dropping out and departing from or departing out of this sphere, leaving you behind. Then you've got to depart and leave others behind. The whole thing is a strange world. It is not home. So we are strangers in a strange land, enslaved in the strange land. Therefore, while we are here, remember his law, the law of the identical harvest, that you can't fool God. So be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And then, because you are going to reap it, do not grow tired. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Do it every moment of time, though you do not see the immediate harvest. Do it anyway, because you cannot fail to reap that harvest. So do it. Spend a little moment every day and deliberately plant lovely thoughts, loving seeds. Bring before your mind's eye those that you know as friends. Represent them to yourself without their knowledge, without their consent in some lovely manner. When they conform to that, in the outer world, you don't need praise. You don't need to tell them. That's what I imagined for you. You know, you have the satisfaction of knowing what you did. Therefore, they will conform to it. And you will see them and you will reap it. And you'll have the satisfaction without having them feel ob obligated. If you tell them what you did, they will feel almost obligated to do something for you in return. You don't want anything in uh, you don't want anything in return. You simply do it because you enjoy the doing. And as you do it, it becomes more and more of a habit. In every moment of your conscious life, you'll be doing it instead of wasting your time with all the unlovely and negative things. You ignore that and do it deliberately in the loving things. And when you read in the book, the 40th Psalm, in the volume of the book, it is written about me. Believe it. It's all about you. Man doesn't know it, but the whole book is about the individual. That's your biography. So in the volume of the book, it is all about me. 
that when you read it, you will realize it's going to unfold in you. And you're going to scream it from the housetops and tell everyone without boasting, because it's about them. Or it's about them, too. Everyone can speak in the first person, present tense. It's all about me, and then one day he'll experience it. And no, it really is all about me. And the book was simply a foreshadowing. The whole thing was a blueprint, a prophetic blueprint of your life. And you enter the world of death, that world of slavery. So in Blake, in his greatest of all poems, he said, The poem is not mine. The authors are in heaven. They are in eternity. I'm only the secretary. It was dictated. It came to me 12, 20, and 30 lines at a time. And what should have taken a lifetime of labor came in no time at all. That is his great poem, Jerusalem. First of all, he begins it by first stating the theme. He tells us of the sleep of Ulro and of the passage through eternal death and of, a, of awakening to eternal life. Then he says, I and them and they and me, all in one. Here it is, the sleep of Ulro. What is the sleep of Ulro? But we pass through eternal death, he makes that statement. But we will awaken to eternal life. He's quite willing to admit it's going to be a hard passage. A difficult passage, but because we are the seed of God, we cannot fail. And one day you will erupt, and it's God erupting, all in you, and you are He. If you dwell upon it, I tell you from my own experience what it will do for you. You will not be arrogant, but you will meet not one person in this world that you will bend the knee to. You refuse to accept any being in this world as an aristocrat beyond you by the simple descent of the flesh. No, the only aristocrat that you will admit is the aristocracy of the spirit. No other aristocracy whatsoever, no line of the flesh, for you are not flesh. You are wearing a garment of the slave, that's flesh, but you are spirit. You are the child of God, and God is spirit. That is only aristocracy that you will admit. And the day will come that you will prove it to yourself, and you will enter a heavenly sphere. And strangely enough, from my own experience, when you enter this sphere consciously, you've always known them. You know them more intimately than you know anyone here on earth. When you meet the Brotherhood, you know them more intimately than you know anyone here. I knew my mother, my father, my brothers, my friends, my wife, my children, and yet I know none of them as intimately as I know my brothers in eternity. And they are all eternal beings. So when I take this off for the last time, there will be no waiting between the taking off and the putting on of that garment which, for one fleeting moment, through the night I was allowed to wear, I tasted of the joy to come that one, that one night in 46, coming through the Caribbean. So I know exactly what is waiting when they say Neville is dead. Far from dead, he will be clothed in his glorious body. Yes, the little garment will be dead, and they will cremate it and turn it into dust. And what they do with it, I don't really care. I only hope my wife will be wise enough not to allow the morticians to burden her with all kinds of nonsense. Keeping a little urn alive and paying rent to it. I told her, just have a little fun. 
the law demands that you've got to put it in a box. Well, get the cheapest box in the world, any box. They will burn it up anyway. Get the cheapest little box and burn it up, and don't you pay rent on the little ash. If they will not allow you here to dispose of it, well, then make some excuse and say, well, it must go to Barbados, and then they will allow it. When it goes to Barbados, they will throw it into the sea or throw it in the dust. That's where it belongs, right there in the dust. But don't make some little icon of it. No place where you can go and say, this is Neville, for I'm not there at all. I'm clothed in my glorious body, a body that is eternal, it's immortal. And I know what the body feels like, and I know what it is to be in it. I can't describe to anyone the exaltation of just wearing the body. You feel infinite power, and yet you are a man. You are a man, and here everything turns into beauty as you glide by. And you need no light, you need no sun, you need no moon, you need no stars. For you are light unto yourself. Not a blinding light, but a radiant light, enough to illuminate anything you want in this world as you go by. There's no need for the sun, no need for the stars, no need for the moon, no need for an external light. You are the light of the world. That I do know from my own experience. So here tonight when I say, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, I'm appealing to you to become more and more aware of what you are imagining. For as you become more and more aware of what you are imagining, you are awakening. And so you become every moment of time aware and you refuse then to allow your imagination to entertain the unlovely things in the world. And you simply put it on the lovely, or put it on the lovely, put it on the lovely, okay, one sec. And you simply put it on the lovely you do it. Okay, that doesn't sound right, but that's what it says. Um, and that moment that you do it, you plant it. And then you have confidence in God's unbroken law that it must come up, that you may harvest it. And you season it will rise, and in due season you will harvest it. It's a law established in the very first chapter. Read it in the 11th verse. It's stated so clearly and so perfectly that no man can break it. And then it is captured in the last verse of the 8th chapter, that as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest shall never cease. So seed time, you have it. Every time you imagine anything, that's seed time. And the harvest must follow. It can't proceed it. So you have seed time and harvest established forever and forever, as long as the earth endures. And you are the one spoken of in the 8th chapter. It is to you that the whole thing is addressed, for the whole thing is about you. Now let us go into the silence. Okay, that was a little bit longer than the past few and a, a little out of breath. All right, so that is the second uh, lecture, Awake, O Sleeper. All right, thank you so much for joining me for today's episode, and I will see you all next time. Bye now.